Welcome to Three Right Turns. I'm your host, Aaron. This podcast and this network, for this matter, are pretty new things. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary. In fact, it's this November. But I've been at this podcasting thing for over a decade now. And back when I started podcasting, we never intended this to be a business. It was just a way for a few of my friends to keep in touch. One of us was moving from Indianapolis to Chicago. One of us floated an idea of starting a podcast, and eh, it sounds like a good idea, something to keep us talking with each other on a regular basis, a little bit of structure. When we're all kind of warming up to the idea as we sat around and talked about it, but I had a question. Are we just fucking around, or are we going to take this thing seriously? Now, it should be known that most of my friends tend to be a little bit of a flibberty gibbet, and I myself kind of fluctuate between two gears, a flibberty gibbet gear and intense engagement. It's kind of crazy. If I if I ever found a slow and steady as she goes there, kind of make consistent effort and progress gear, who knows what would happen. But even still, if I approach something in intense engagement mode and the rest of my friends or the people around me are being all flibberty, you know, fuck that. It, it bums them out. It bums me out. It's just a bummer all around. I didn't want to put in three hours of prep work into a nice outline, make a schedule, uh, carve out time in my life to fit that schedule and hit that schedule, record something, have another one of us friends work three or four hours editing and publishing that thing for one of us to show up two hours late or show up drunk or not show up at all, you know? I hate being caught taking something seriously that my friends are just kind of fucking around on. Like I said, it's a bummer. So if we were just fucking around, my vote was we just get like tabletop simulator going, do a virtual round of Magic the Gathering drafts over brews, and just skip the whole coming up with outlines and recording shit and producing stuff, right? We don't have to worry about schedules. We don't have to worry about publishing, any of that. But taking it seriously doesn't mean you can't have fun, you got to wear suits or have rigid hierarchies, but it does require giving your word, keeping it, being accountable to people, approaching the task at hand thoughtfully, seriously. And that brings us to the world of politics, especially online politics, because there are just way too many people fucking around, especially when you're talking about moving left of center in terms of economic politics. It seems to me that there's just a rapid drop off in terms of seriousness. You have the wannabe revolutionaries, You have the people that say you can just sit back and do nothing and capitalism just will kind of fold in on itself and collapse, which essentially lazy man's revolution. And I've been really frustrated with people who can precisely articulate the many flaws of capitalism, but then can't put forth any path forward to get us from here to there. Or worse, they want to you know go with revolution and just kind of explain away all the flaws of 20th century socialism and communism as uh, the product of Western propaganda and prop up and even glorify many failed authoritarian states. And it's filled with petty hypocrites who struggle to hold any kind of intellectual or ideological position with any kind of consistency. These just aren't serious positions. None of them feels like a project that you would get a sense of pride or satisfaction at helping to build. 
And yet, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time not taking politics seriously. I was constantly getting in this mismatch between me wanting to be like, okay, what's next? Let's let's do this thing and non-serious fucking around type positions. I don't want to just fuck around when it comes to my neighborhood, my city, my community. I don't want to fuck around with this country, much less the entire world. We'll enter this week's guest, Vosh, who is a self-described libertarian socialist. Vosh is a streamer and YouTube personality that's popped up on my radar in the past year. And what I think distinguishes him from other popular content creators on the left is I feel he takes his craft and his politics seriously, not in tone and aesthetics, certainly. If you go to his channel, you'll find out that he's just as capable of being silly and stupid as anybody, you know, and occasionally, like it will, it'll land you in the hot water. But I think that Vosh is serious in terms of thinking how to engage politically, uh, both now and in the near future. And maybe it's this reason that he also happens to be one of the very fastest growing leftist personalities on internet. His videos have been viewed more than 40 million times with over 200,000 subscribers. You can find him on his home at Vosh.gg or check out his YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Vosh. Look for those links in the show notes, or if you want to check out the video of our conversation, I've also linked that there for your convenience. We hooked up recently for a wide-ranging conversation about his personal history, his style of rhetoric and argument, his thoughts on socialism, what it means to him, where he thinks it's going, and how we can get there. I also got to try a lot of my uh, infamous analogies and illustrations on him and his community. I really enjoyed one uh, that I came up with here involving the Wright brothers and socialism that someone in his community dubbed single-cylinder, wooden-framed socialism. I, I really thought that was funny. And towards the end, we talk about some exciting plans he's got to form a PAC, a political action committee, with his community. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Bosch. Can you talk a, um, a little bit about yourself as far as I like to have conversations um, about like people's backgrounds? Because, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about my background and how it's influenced my political thought. Um, you know, talk about a little bit uh, about how you grew up, um, your relationship with politics, uh, you know, where, where, where you grew up, uh, any kind of religious thought, that kind of stuff uh, for a couple of minutes and get a nice grounding of, of who is Vosh, the person. Yeah. Well, I never had much of a religious inclination. My family was agnostic, the only agnostic wing of a larger family that came from the South. Uh, they moved over to California, and I grew up in a middle-class family in an upper-class neighborhood in Beverly Hills, which they put me there because uh, of the school district, which was wonderful. And of course, you fear not for crime in Beverly Hills. Nothing really happens there, nothing bad at least, um, apart from, I assume, all the white-collar crime. Um, and uh, I, I grew up, and I, I assumed sort of the default political position um of a young and sort of bright boy which is a libertarian um mm -hmm. because i was very self-centered and very um very much of the opinion that everything i had ever done for myself that was good um was exclusively the product of my own ingenuity and uh that everything else bad that had happened to the world must have naturally been a product of um of other people's uh, intellectual or moral failings. Um, and I thought that for a good long time. I was never a reactionary, though. I never thought like, um, I never thought like, oh, why are black people in a bad position? Like, oh, 
because they suck. Oh, why are women in a bad position? Because <laughs> they suck. I just kind yeah. of thought for the most part that people were on sort of level playing fields and there were probably some larger systemic issues that maybe we just need the right person to sort out and that's it. It's, other, it's a simple problem. Um, but when I got older, I got exposed to different people. One of the earliest political figures that I got exposed to was, you've probably heard of him, a guy called Destiny, who still streams on Twitch. Um, sure. He didn't do politics very much back 10 years years ago but he was one of the first live streamers and uh he was a edgy opinion boy and his is um his perspective was very similar to my own you know edgy libertarian very self-centered um but my perspective on politics was challenged a little bit when i took an ap world government class in my senior year of high school we had a phenomenal professor at beverly high i think uh, professor hina hosa um who uh, really opened me up to the idea that there was a lot of ambiguity to governance that I hadn't really considered before, that it wasn't just a, a binary, like, are you good at it or bad at it? Are you smart or dumb? Um, and that uh, understanding ambiguity, I think, helps opens one's perspective up. I also had a friend uh, at that time, a very unlikely friend who was uh, uh, an adopted immigrant from Brazil who had had a very difficult uh, childhood. And uh, she was brown and had a very different perspective on life. So, but uh, my, 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 worldview was getting pulled in a bunch of different directions. And when I went to college, I decided instead of going into a hard science, I would go into political science, which I hated. So I switched to sociology because political science was full of stuffy know-it-alls. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, Destiny got more political with time, still my favorite live streamer up at that point. Uh, and I was a prominent member of his community because I'd occasionally go on and argue with him. Um, over the years, this would happen more and more frequently. I moved further and further to the left, college education, uh, uh, exposure to different people, um, and further radicalization of the online left-leaning pipeline, you know? Ten years ago, there really wasn't that much in the way of like a prominent left-leaning political base online. No, now it's it very, very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so with time, I, I you know, I, I did this more and more, and I finished my, I finished my degree. I got a degree in sociology with a minor in communication. And uh, after I graduated, it's like, well, okay. Um, I came from a family with a with a decent amount of money, but I'm kind of shit out on my own now. You know, um, I'm no longer in Los Angeles. I'm up in Northern California, and um, I, I uh, the job market there is just trash. And I have to wait a bit before I can move because my partner is still finishing their degree. So in the meantime, yeah, fuck it, I'll stream. You know, why not? Um, and because I had a little bit of prominence within Destiny's community, I had kind of like a pre-existing audience who would check me out like, oh, hey, look, this asshole went ahead and made something, you know, like, let's right. let's look at that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, I guess over the course of maybe two or three months, the numbers that I was getting went from a fun little hobby to wait, I'm making more than minimum wage to wait, I'm actually making enough to, you know. Uh, uh, call this a potential career. And since then, it's just been up and up. Uh, I'm a libertarian socialist, um, a very big fan of the idea that people should be in charge of their own lives. Um, and I'm very much of the opinion that many of the systems people believe uh, uh, are, are, are meritocratic and liberating are actually quite repressive in nature. And that's mm -hmm. generally what I argue against in my stream. I want to drill down in something you said that you were never reactionary and that's something mm -hmm. that I guess is um, I identify with too. Do you know why? Because like it seems like a lot of people do um, anytime information that is presented outside their field of expertise or direct experience 
you know, they generalize a whole bunch of stuff, assume that they know everything about it and, you know, accept these narratives and get like, uh, I, I was watching, you know, in prep for this, uh, you had this, um, debate with some, you know, uh, a uh, person was like uh, some British guy that was all anti-immigration about four months ago. And it's very clear, like you pointed out, it's like you you are not relying on statistics and reason. You're relying on a couple dozen of YouTube videos that you've seen that have really upset you. Why do you I think? Yeah. Why, why do you why do you think that uh, you didn't get that reactionary kind of gene? Is it is it something that like your parents instilled in you? Is it something is it the books you read when you're because sometimes I think the heroic stories that we, I know that's something that destiny says, you know, you, um, that a lot of times why he thinks he didn't turn out to be kind of like a shit bag is that he had certain heroes that had certain ideals and that was very influential to him. Have you ever given thought about like, you know, how, how can we fireproof people? How can we make people out of sturdier stuff so they don't fall for this reactionary stuff? Yeah. Well, I, I want to clarify. I, that's not to say I never had any reactionary tendencies. Sure. I mean, when I was a young boy, I still thought like women were kind of silly, you know, and I like it, it's sort of the yeah, the, the latent yeah. almost default notions were given when we're younger, especially uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I imagine now it's maybe a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I think it's the reason I didn't really go down that road, I think, was in part because of two things. Um, one. Uh, I had very good parents and still do, of course, love them. Uh, And two, uh, because I liked gaming more than I liked the people who played those games. Mm. Um, One thing that I've noticed is a lot of people who get into reactionary politics uh, have hardcore parasocial relationships with online figures, many of whom are young boys who got lucky being very good at video games that have made a career off of it. And a lot of these people have categorically terrible opinions. Um, many of them, they just, just very bad. And it's a lot of it's because they're young, they're impressionable, they're very wealthy. Uh, and they, um, everything that they have in their life is legitimately a product of their skill. If you're wealthy because you're one of the best League of Legends players on earth, that's literally your skill. I mean, that's one of the few environments where meritocracy is actually a legitimate um, possibility. Uh, and because of that, I think it makes these people very arrogant and very unintrospective. And a lot of people who watch these people pick up on those views and it disseminates and it diffuses. And that sort of through osmosis, they absorb that entitlement without any of the actual skill that um, propelled those people to those positions initially. I just liked the fucking games. So I didn't spend my time watching other people play the games. I just played the games myself. I sucked at it. Um, but, mm-hmm. it, you know, um, but I, I legitimately think that's actually like a really big difference in the um, the exposure people get, especially when they're young. Um, because now I can watch other people play games online, but I'm cert- I'm old enough now to understand what they're saying and why they're saying it. But when you're like 12 or 13 years old and you're watching somebody play like Fortnite or whatever, you know, yeah. th- these people are gods to you. Um, and their views, even if they don't come out and just say, you know, like, I think Jews are controlling the world, they don't have to be overt with it or anything, right. but just the little, the little subtle tendencies. That's why I get so happy with, um, progressive at popular game streamers. I know alpha rad, for example, uh, is a big one. Um, it's, it, it makes me really happy because I know there are a lot of young people who watch them and they don't need to be turned into, into communists or whatever. But when they're watching that they're I know they're not picking up on these, subtle inclinations that may have led so many other people in, in a, in a bad place. Um, yeah. Anyway, a bit of a tangent, but I do think that has uh, had a huge impact. It's, it's unfortunate because like, culture. 
I, I felt like that in the early days of Bald Move, you know, when we're covering, because um, I've, I've been, you know, uh, increasingly progressive over the last 10 years, but like there was, I had, uh, I, I never intended that to be political, you know, as I just want to talk about mm-hmm. TV with my friends and, you know, uh, my fellow fans. But like every once in a while, you come across like Breaking Bad. It's hard not to talk about Breaking Bad without talking about the failures of the U.S. healthcare system, because that's essentially mm-hmm. the true villain of Breaking Bad. And, you know, like The Walking Dead would have uh, a tricky abortion plot or, you know, Game of Thrones would have a debate about whether, oh, did this person really get raped? And, you know, and it was. You it was know, and did it, you notice during Breaking Bad how many people hated Skylar? Oh, uh, yes. And that's something so that we talked about constantly. People. And the, and the yeah. podcast, how that like, you know, kind of, you know, I think for most people, the sympathies flip before the end of it. But like, yeah, things like that where I, I was able to make like passing comments. And then like two, 2015 and 2016 came along and like, you know, we'd review the movie Black Panther, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, got an amazing amount of, you know, like, I can't believe that you're not condemning Killmonger for wanting to kill white people, et cetera. Um, and or thinking that he's like, you know, I made an analogy. I thought he's a great villain in the in in the kind of mold of Magneto. Like it's like, yeah, he's he wants a kind of horrifying shape of the world, but he got there honestly, right? And then you talk about something like Black Klansman, it's nakedly political, and it's like it just it came it became harder and harder just to have like neutral talk about entertainment, especially as things have gotten worse and worse. Entertainment, you know, like mm-hmm. how the hell do you talk about? A show like The Watchmen on HBO last year. Well, now there are there are two different discussion groups. Yeah, there are two different discussion groups for every major piece of media with any political bent now. And you'll see the progressive side and the reactionary side. Uh, The progressive side of Breaking Bad was, well, honestly, I think they were mostly just enjoying the movie. But there were some people who really did seem to want to use the movie as a vehicle for pushing hatred of women. I get Marie's annoying, and Skyler's pretty annoying too. But like, if you watch that movie and you come away thinking that Skyler is anything. Um, sorry, not movie, TV show. Um, if you if you come away from that show and like feel anything but pity for Skylar, like I have, I I don't know. Some people project yeah. a lot of really weird shit. You made a comment there how like Killmonger is a little bit like Magneto and that their hatred is shaped by a very legitimate um, sort of encounter with the evils of the world. The difference is to a lot of Americans, you know, uh, the Holocaust is an undeniable, objective, obvious. Yep horrible thing that they don't really question uh whereas uh black people are still oppressed <laughs> yeah oh my god are, okay, are we buddy. the baddies are we the baddies are we create yeah like that can't be no no it can't be years that yeah. now it's going to be the same thing there are going to be historical pieces about um black people we so like right now for example mm-hmm. uh, uh the film sorry uh, this is a tangent but right now the film uh django you know um sure right uh wonderful film great uh were people mad about it sure of course it's a tarantino film there are going to be people mad about it did it inspire this massive wave of people angry at the idea of a of a black man killing slave owners i at least relative to the size of the movie and the buzz that it stirred i feel like people mostly accepted it because most americans look at that movie and they're like Okay, he's a black guy in the 1850s. Okay, yeah, all right. Okay, we get it. Um, and a hundred years from now, they're going to be saying the same goddamn thing about today, and we're going to look comparatively just as silly. They're going to be sympathetic tales of like you know tragic like black men and women who are born on the streets and rise up to lash out at the system that oppressed them. And they in the future are going to go well. Obviously, I mean, look yep. at that. Of course. Yeah, but we don't see it today, so it's just a matter of time, I guess. 
And I guess that's one thing that, from my personal experience, like growing up super religious and conservative in a conservative area of the country, um, I had my head so far up my ass about things like, you know, gay rights and um, especially, I mean, that was a hot button issue in my community. Um, that it's like, I kind of never, I, I'm really sensitive to seeing those patterns of thought in other places. And I think that's why, you know, cause I remember it's funny, you did the, the 15, uh, you know, 1350 video. And I did like a couple oh, yeah. weeks before that, I did a, um, uh, an analysis of kind of like racial, you know, police stats and stuff like that very along similar mm-hmm. lines. But I remember the day that someone hit me with that. And I was like, it was like 15 years ago. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, what if everything I've been told, you know, like, uh, cause at that point, everything I've been told about religion was wrong. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of like having, I was open to new ideas. Like, God damn, what if, uh, you know, there's just something wrong with, with black folks. And yeah, I'm you, like, you well, you could have taken the red pill. Yeah. And instead I rolled up my sleeves. I'm like, you know, I'm actually going to look at both sides, you know, quote unquote, both sides of this issue. And like, that's my, what, what, I, what I try to preach is like, there are very satisfying answers to the question of like, why there's racial disparities um, in, in crime statistics and, you know, why there's other disparities among sexes and classes and all this other stuff. Um, you don't have to go through to like, you know, just something wrong with the culture. You know, uh, there's, there's actually satisfying answers to be had there. And, uh, you know, I, I, one of the things I try to do is, you know, try to stay atop of the current topics and firewall people against like, you know, what, what is the bullshit that's going to come out after this, particular issue uh, can i get ahead of that so that when you're having these conversations with your friends and family uh you're not going to get blindsided by stuff like that that can take you to a dark place you know um yeah this is this is one of my main light. criticisms as well with the anti-sjw community there are some anti-sjws who are just that anti-sjws a lot of them are mm-hmm. neo-nazis now but some of yeah. them are just anti-sjws and the issue is when you levy out all these arguments about how the feminists are controlling our culture to you know uh disempower white men and blah 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 you're what well, you're you're essentially setting people up to be white nationalists uh you're only uh-huh. a few questions away really from arriving at that position you know if you already think that the far left and sjws are teaming up to disempower like white dudes because they're angry or bitter or whatever it doesn't take very much for you to go like okay well we need to preserve our culture and okay what are the vessels through which they're doing this and so on and so forth what people are really looking for is satisfying answers i've argued with enough nazis to know if you give these people the right answer when it comes to racial injustice i don't mean like a moral answer that's that's uh, informed by your axiomatic values i mean like factual information about why black people are the way they are right now they scoff at it um because it's unintuitive to them they've been led down a path where the natural framework of the world suggests a genetic explanation and that's the only answer they have so anything sure. else sounds like uh you, you like like you know useless um sick of uh, like you know it's like with sycophant essentially mm-hmm. like you're coming at them with oh 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 okay so i know it i know it seems like black people are just less intelligent but let me give you a two-hour dissertation on sociology a very far left academic discipline to explain to you why that's not the case that's how it seems to them so yep. they don't want to get suckered by it they don't listen they just have their talking points um it's very unfortunate there are a lot of people these days who i think are very um 
deeply rooted in this in this hereditarian worldview this uh, uh and i don't know how effectively they can be pulled out of it i mean i think the it's it's all facts and figures right like it's it's harder to explain like it's a satisfying explanation but it's like you know i try to make analogies with people what, what i like to do and i, I think you know I, I was watching this video of you arguing with this this person this english uh, anti-immigration person and I think you just have to keep like gently without any kind of anger. Like, well, what do you think the problem is? It's the culture. Well, what do you mean by that? Because like, and you can hear the hesitation when you start getting to like, well, I don't want to say something racist, right? Because the other thing, I guess, from my background is um, I know what it's okay. So when I, when we're going through, you know, pre 2000, this like big upheaval, like gay marriage is a big thing. Right. And I was on one mm-hmm. side and increasingly a lot of my friends that I enjoyed spending time with progressive friends were on the other. Um, and like, if I would have a conversation about like, you know, pros and cons of gay marriage very quickly, I'd, I'd, I'd have a lot of my friends calling me things like a bigot and a homophobe and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I know inside of me, I don't really hate gay people. I just don't want them to be able to get married for reasons. And the reason like I, I, I just have this kind of like general unease, like I couldn't articulate it because like I don't want to say I hate gay people because I don't really hate gay people. It's just I'm uncomfortable with that idea. Um, so then I've, when I get like I'd see a headline about like, well, the reason you don't want gay people to get married is because, you know, you need that nuclear relationship is the best thing for a child and blah, blah, blah. And, and you like, oh, that's the it's reason, like, oh, right? You yeah, just, yeah, you, of course, naturally. Like, oh, that's what I thought. Oh, and, oh there's a reason. Exactly. And that's why I feel like people like Sam Harris do and and Jordan Peterson do so much damage because they just throw into the atmosphere um, intellectual reasons that people can latch on to to justify. You know, again, I, did I hate gay people? Did I want? To? No. And then there is like, you know, growing up in a rural community. I, I, you know, there's, there's a stark difference between like systemic racists, you know, people that just kind of go along with the system and kind of have their head in the sand or, mm-hmm. uh, versus like actual, you know, virulent KKK racist. You in know? most parts of America in, mm-hmm. in, in 95% of dinner tables, virulent racists aren't treated well. Um, right. it's mostly a matter of people's passive acceptance for that discomfort you were talking about. And I agree with you. And that's why I think Jordan Peterson is such a fucking coward too, because he knows what he's doing. He's providing these affirmative arguments to justify reactionary beliefs, but he never actually states the reactionary belief outright. He never says, right. this is why you shouldn't or should do this or that. He just gives the arguments and kind of shuffles off. Um, maybe do he won't think, be doing do, that do you, anymore. Do you think he knows what he's doing? Or do you think, I think he's he knows just exactly an older? What he's, doing. he's a very do you think smart he's, man. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Or do you think he's an older guy that's uncomfortable with trans people and is just doing the same thing? And like, it also started getting him notoriety and people fawning over him. And I mean, I, I don't want to do the controversial like, what if Jordan Peterson actually good guy? Uh, no, no, of course, of course. it's no, more of just like no matter what I, I yeah, think yeah, he knows yeah. what he's doing. His his initial mm-hmm. rise to prominence, we have to remember, it wasn't for his philosophy or for his self-help. It was no, for, it was his for his opposition to the C-16 bill in Canada, which Certainly. was an incredibly milquetoast, virtually meaningless bill. But he was able to fear monger it so effectively that it skyrocketed him to international prominence. And the way he lied about it so confidently while mm-hmm. managing to avoid answering direct questions that would challenge any of the fears that he had built up in his audience i think he knew exactly what he was doing i think he's a snake um but uh the it, it hatred is a very strong word um 
you talk about discomfort. I think that mostly is it. I think that it, it takes a lot for a person to hate another person. It's a very personal um, direction of energy uh, that isn't really reflective of the average reactionary tendencies. Take trans people, for example. And I know this because I've argued about trans people. Fuck, it feels like almost as much as I've argued about socialism and uh, or, or, or race realism. Um, it's the subject that generates by far the most interaction on this podcast because it's something that even amongst quote unquote liberals, they're kind of like, oh, I don't oh, this feels oh, I don't know. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it's intuitive. It makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. They yes. feel that discomfort. Now, of course, if you actually parse it out and break down the arguments, the the existence, validity, happiness, whatever of trans people, these are these are very easily justified. You can do it logically. It's not you don't even have to like do any weird moral presuppositions. Um but it doesn't matter. For a lot of the people you argue with, it's just over and over and over again a fight against this intuitive revulsion yes. they feel, which is which is almost an unwinnable battle because intuition is um, is 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 inexplicable to the person who holds it as it is unassailable to the people who don't. Um, which means they don't really have the ability to challenge it. Challenging intuition is very difficult. Well, it's not even intuition. It's kind of like I see this all the time when you have reasonable people that are forced to argue about a subjective opinion, like in pop culture, you know, like is the latest Star Wars good or bad? Um, a lot of the times and in Star Wars, that's maybe a bad example because that gets um, that gets tied up into social justice warrior bull, you know, anti-social justice warrior bullshit. But let's say any given television season is it good or bad. Some people like it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Some people are in between. Um, and in fan communities, like uh, y- 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 at the end of the day, it's just like, well, I just don't like it. But they that's not a good enough answer. Right. So they have to increasingly come up with ideas of why they don't like it or I like this thing. And it's almost like, uh, you know, the first time you eat pickles as a kid. Did you like pickles? Maybe some people did. Maybe some didn't. Most of us are grow grow to have adult taste and realize, hey, you know, pickles aren't bad. I wonder how much of this stuff is just subjective. Like, you know, this um, uh, 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 or like trans people. I it just it's, it's weird and it's new and it's a flavor I'm not familiar with. And I'm just going to instead of leaving at that and be like, well, you know, maybe I'll be open to, to trying or learning some stuff. It's just like you got to you, you got to put some kind of like concrete shape to that general discomfort with it and it t- comes out as transphobia and then yeah, people are people can get hardened or feelings yeah and then those those feelings can be you know depending on what kind of discourse you have what kind of friend circles you know where we gr- you know where you grow up what kind of parents that you know feeling can calcify and harden into something or it can soften and and be influenced um but i don't know i, I do i do think that uh Pop culture does a lot for us to allow, you know, it's um, it's 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 a medium for us to kind of like try out other people's like lives and put on their shoes and walk around them a bit. And I think um, that's one of the reasons why it seems like progressives win the culture war more often than not in the long term, because it's really hard to hold on to that just subjective opinion of dislike when you're confronted with people's genuine pain. Or genuine joys. Um, I also think people who are capable of introspection just tend to make better art. There's a reason why artists have always leaned progressive. I mean, of course, there there are, uh, you know, deviations, but um, just as a whole, fascist dictatorships have always targeted um, the the artists or resistance has always come from within communities of art, whether that be cinema or or television or even painting. Um, And it's not surprising to me at all. 
Uh, and I do think we're winning the culture war in that respect, if nothing else. If you take a look at, for example, um, the direction movies and shows and uh, cartoons are all heading in, it's undeniable that we're seeing a, a significantly, um, you know, uh, greater influence from progressives. Um, and some of these pieces of media do it poorly and some of them do it well, of course. The discourse around sure. Steven Universe has been um, almost unavoidable online over the past six or seven years. Mm-hmm. But um, but even newer stuff is, is, is I think, subtly infusing those values um, in, a, in a way that I think is quite compelling. And these values are, are, are incredibly defensible, you know, that all people should be treated equally and with dignity, fundamentally, that you should be comfortable with who you are and be who you want to be and to not hurt other people. These are incre- these are very, very simple schoolhouse values. We're not talking, you know, we're, we're not talking about like some sinister attempt at indoctrinating the children. These are values any child should have. Um, and you mentioned earlier that discomfort people feel and the fact that if it's directly challenged, people get uh, a little bit defensive. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I think um, the online left has dropped the ball over the past couple of years when it comes to advocacy for ideas. It's one of the things I try to address with my channel where I feel that leftism and progressivism doesn't have to be this um monolithic gate-kept very pure sort of ivory tower of incredibly informed behavior but rather that it's a spectrum and we all move over and we move over best mind uh when we're not being shamed by the people we're moving towards right um yeah so it's 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 more about challenging these ideas and leaving the people untouched i try to do that for the most part no, there should be like a soft border where people can come in and maybe they got some mud on their shoes and you got the tougher kind of rough and ready people on the outside. You got the mud room of discourse where it's like, hey, you know what? Uh, got some mud on your shoes. Let, let's scrape that off and then yeah, and, and yeah. welcome you further into now you got your shoes clean. So let's let's go into the main house. Uh, you know, hey, by the way, we take our shoes off in the main house because we got this nice carpet and you just keep on inviting them further and further in and. And, and 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 educating them as you go. But like too often, I think um, it's a stereotype that like leftist discourse spaces are more hard shells that like if you've got the muddy shoes, fuck you. We don't we it's it's not our job to clean your shoes. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a pristine dining room in the middle of a swamp and you have to arrive there uh, completely uh, filth free and then you can come in. But otherwise, <laughs> but no. I understand like where the frustration of people who've had, you know, muddy footprints in their fucking house for generations um, that that's frustrating. And I think that's why I um, guys like our, ourselves, you know, um, white, white dudes um, uh, that that don't have that experience of just being, you know, shit on all the time. We are the where uh, the men and women of, of, of our of our type can be kind of the, the, the mudroom attendants, you know, like, uh, hey, we can we can help you get your shoes clean. Uh, we're, this isn't the thousandth time we've had this conversation with um, a, a person. Uh, and it's also not directly affecting us. So there's not that emotional kind of like charge to it. Um, yeah, yeah. No. Well, I completely agree. And, and not only is that um, valuable, I think it's quite fun, to be honest, yeah. as well. Well, um, I, I, I wanted to talk to you about your like convert your uh, persuasion style because it's a little bit more mm-hmm. smash mouth than mine. But I noticed because like I was I was going through a couple of the debates you had and like I was sitting there and I'm like, because, you know, you and I come from different backgrounds and I saw some people make statements and I'm like, well, man, I, I that could come out of my mouth 20 years ago. And I think Vosh is kind of beaten up on him a little bit too much. But I do like overall, it feels like you have almost like like a big brother energy 
where like you 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 smack them on the ass or like you 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 give them noogies on the head, but then you kind of like back off and 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 is that something you consciously do or are you just kind of winging it when you're having these conversations? Do you have like no, a methodology it, for? Yeah, it's something I try to do when I'm debating people or arguing with people. I'm never trying to convince the person I'm talking to unless I'm talking to a very large public figure uh, in very scant cases, uh, in which case their their knowledge or their affirmation is worth more with regards to my time. But usually when I'm debating people, what I'm trying to do is convince the audience. I would hope people who have watched me for a while will recognize that while I can be incredibly mean to people when I disagree with them, I am also unbelievably kind to people who I think are making an effort to move left. I have never in the history of this channel seen a person make an effort to do better and punish them for it. It has never happened once. I'm incredibly doting to those people. Um, and I think it's it's a stick in the carrot method. A lot of people who are on the right are so because they've been uh, led in by um, the perceived strength of the demagogues who they sure. watch online. You know, you have people like an obvious example is ben, is ben Shapiro, of course, you mm -hmm. know, um, talks fast, big brain debate lord. He's kind of a meme in lefty circles, but we have to recognize he's very popular right. to people on the right. And a lot of that is because he presents this facade of, you know, indefatigable debate prowess, incredibly intelligent, you know, uh, and, um, and that helps people see past him being a dweeb for the most part. Um, it doesn't, I mean, he, he's also quite dishonest, but sticking just sure. to the, the, the aesthetics of the presentation, that's why he only debates college students, of course, because if he debated somebody who knew what they were doing and was prepared on the topic and brought research material with them, the, he would be lucky to come away with a draw. And that perceived strength is something fairly unique to the right. Left-leaning content creators don't really do that. The biggest left-leaning content creators are either newscasters or queer, you know, uh, 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 you know, queer poly um, video essayists who um, voice their scripts in a room with uh, Christmas lights illuminating their face. It's a very different aesthetic. I think what a lot of people, what a lot of boys need is just a smack. They need to be shown that the people they look up to online are fucking idiots. They're very dumb. They're only it's impressive so. because they've made dozens of videos where they talk down on YouTube videos to a person who doesn't get to speak back to them. I'm mm -hmm. mean to them. I'll mean to you if you agree with them. But at the end of the day, I hang up the towel and... I'm happy to have you come over and hear my arguments whenever you want. It's worked for me so far, but um, I've had to adjust my perspective on this quite a bit since I started the channel. All right. Well, I want to I want to move on to the main event, uh, which is uh, you're, you're kind of the first socialist I've had on the podcast. I've had conservatives. I've had libertarians. I've had tons of, you know, um, liberals and other progressive types. But you're like, uh, um you know, you're, you're a, you're a big, big deal socialist. Um, and I like, again, as I said, I like the, your brand of socialism because it's not just like, you know, Hey, what's it look like in Star Trek utopia land, which that's, that's the future that I want to go to. It's more of like, what are the baby steps that we get? Uh, how, the, how do we get there? So I kind of want, um, as the, the first representative socialist on three right turns, what do you see socialism as, and then I want to start talking about, like, what are some things we can do in the current American climate to, you know, make if those ideas are good to make those ideas, um, you know, more conducive. What what kind of environment we can create to make those ideas 
uh, actually take take shape and take flight and and start progressing. Yeah, well, socialism is democracy, but everywhere. Um, as far as I'm concerned, socialism is just freedom. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of really weird ideas about socialism when they sure. think of it. They're like, uh, ah, Stalin, you know. Um, and I think anyone who watches my channel knows I'm just as critical of these figures as I am of anyone on the right. Um, they should watch any of the dozens of videos I've had arguing against, uh, you know, uh, authoritarian communists. Or I don't even think they're communists personally, but yeah, like, um, quote unquote tankies. One of the biggest issues we have with this country, I think most reasonable people will agree, or at least people vaguely on the left, there are systems in this country that are broken. Healthcare being a great one, our education system being a great one. There are arguments to privatize these systems further, but frankly, if you look at the data, these are just not compelling arguments. They aren't. The reason why is because market logic fundamentally relies on um the idea of the supply demand curve um, uh, being malleable to the needs of the consumer. That is to say, uh, we you want goods that are of a correct degree of elasticity. So for example, uh, 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 um, this chapstick I have right in front of me, I don't fucking know. What was it, a dollar? I don't know. If it was $20, I wouldn't have bought it. Great, easy, market transaction. Healthcare, if I get shot or if I get in a car accident, I will pay any amount of money to forestall my own death. Same goes with food. Same goes in some cases with transportation because that can be necessary to get to a job. These systems, education too, you can't do shit if you don't have an education. You want to price out elementary school a thousand dollars a day? I mean, if your kid doesn't have an education, they're not getting a job. These systems are necessary. So decommodifying, that is to say, uh, procuring them without the intent of selling them is generally a better strategy. If you look at the way other economies handle their education, their healthcare, this the, this isn't even like a philosophical argument. The data just suggests that these things are better. And the reason for this is because market logic has fundamental faults that people are very um, occasionally unwilling to overlook. Um, I'll give you another example. Uh, we call this country, the United States of America, a democracy. And some people will say, oh, it's a republic. And then I'll say, you fucking idiot. Those aren't mutually exclusive. You can be both. So it's a democracy. Great. Not a perfect one, but it is one. So why is it then that I participate in my democracy once every two years to cast a vote at a ballot? And very rarely do I see any fundamental change from that. But the actual day-to-day -day quality of my life, my being hypothetical here, I'm a YouTuber, the average person's life is determined by my boss. I don't understand. A boss is a tyrant. They very literally are. They can do. They could fire you for whatever reason they like. They can't say because it's your. It's your because you're black or a woman. But they can say they didn't like your vibe and they can fire you. Um, your quality of life is almost entirely determined by the generosity your manager or boss sees fit to bequeath upon you. And this is your life. I mean, this is unless you become a boss yourself. That's why so many conservatives sell the fantasy of the small, you know, business owner. You become yeah, your own boss. Well, yeah. yeah. But then people work under you. 
This system necessitates the vast majority of the population has to live under 40 hours a week under a, a soft tyranny, which determines their wealth, the quality of their life to a large extent. And I think this is I think this is ridiculous. I think this is absurd. We can't call ourselves a free country if the vast majority of people must submit themselves to tyranny if they are to live decent, equitable lives. We see right now in so many ways. I apologize for the, the, the um, preaching of this pitch but now i'm into it you know i'm, I'm having fun yeah, um, you wound up there there are so many ways uh in which this country is crumbling our infrastructure poor investment our education system likewise and it feels like getting these things funded properly fixing these systems is a game of tug of war with the most powerful and influential human beings who have ever lived the wealthiest people around the lobbyists the bankers the politicians these people are absurdly powerful their interests are different than ours i don't know why somebody who makes two billion dollars a year would care whether or not public education is doing well or whether infrastructure works when they hell pad their way across the United them, States. Yeah. Uh-huh. They have no reason to. Their material interest is different. All of the problems in this country that are economic by nature fundamentally come down to the fact that everything is run by a group of people who have a different set of interests to the majority of the population. And that's not democracy. The difference yeah. between the worker and the bourgeoisie. And to be clear, when you you, when you were talking about tyrants, we're not talking about just evil bosses here because it's fundamentally undemocratic for a well-meaning boss, for example, to run a company into the ground. And all the workers that relied on that company that lived and worked within that company are now shit out of luck because they had and they had zero say in it. They had, you know, no input into it. Like, you know, the idea of self-determination and self-governance is it's so easy to understand when we're talking politically, but like economic That's one thing that I've been trying to talk to people is like, we accept all kinds of restrictions on people's military power. You know, you're not allowed to own certain firearms. You're not allowed to have a private army in this country. We accept all kinds of limits on people's political power. We have term limits, you know, we have uh, limits to how much you can donate to campaigns theoretically. But like, we don't ever want to countenance economic restrictions on people's freedoms. Do you want to be a trillionaire? Go fucking nuts. Do you want to own a thousand homes? Do you want to own like, you know, a billion dollar lot? Like if you can afford it, then why not? There's like people don't want to think about just how nuts it is that we have people that are hugely influential to those other systems, you know, military and politically. We used to recognize the consolidation of power was a bad thing. We used to know this, at least to an extreme extent. That's the reason why we moved out of feudalism. What's the justification for being a lord, for example? Well, lords or aristocrats tended to be very wealthy people with private armies who had moved to occupy castles over which they had a certain dominion over the farmlands around, and they would own those farmlands, and they would essentially lease them out to serfs, and the serfs would, you know, pay their taxes and farm. Okay, well, what's wrong with that? Clearly, we thought that was a bad system, so what was wrong with it? Well, they didn't do anything illegal. The aristocrat inherited the rights and the armies they needed to secure that uh, that castle. So what was wrong with it? Everything was legal. And if we recognize that's wrong, a legal framework which allows one man to have unbelievable control over those around him at no fault whatsoever of the people who work the land. Why are we okay with this? The system we have today is fundamentally no different. What it is, is more efficient. But the fundamental relations between people, between people who have control of the means of production, the ability to produce wealth, to produce things, and those who must work to produce those things, that 
relationship has essentially remained unchanged in its fundamental form for thousands of years since yeah. agriculture. And if you recognize that, and it doesn't matter what, by the way, whether or not the wealthy people, as you said, are good or bad people, you know, a uh, 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 um, uh, uh, generous, kind, benevolent king is a king nonetheless. I would still sure. rebel against the monarchy. Um, and if you recognize this is a fundamental problem, that everything that's being run in this country is being run by people with interests different than ours, that all the benefits we get from our education systems to our infrastructure are the bare minimums they see necessary to provide us to maintain the general efficiency of the economy. Economy, because that benefits them, of course. What do you do about it? And the answer to this, I say immediately, is market socialism. Uh, I think the best thing we can do is through legal means, if possible, uh, to move this country in a direction where its firms, its workplaces are either decommodified, that is to say they are run as a nonprofit, or uh, that they are collectively owned by those who work there. Worker cooperatives are already popular and the evidence suggests they are effective and very capable of replacing traditional firms in many respects. And I do believe, uh, based on the evidence that worker cooperatives have a significantly higher degree of economic uh, viability and worker satisfaction, that moving in that direction would be the best possible thing we could do for our economy, to control where you work at, to have a say where you work at. And what's more, this eliminates the fundamental distinction between the haves and the haves nots. There are no longer individuals who singly control massive swaths of property. Groups of people do. And all these groups of people share a common material interest. And with that, we eliminate the fundamental divide that has kept people in governance from meaningfully addressing the concerns of the average member of population. Let's talk about co-ops because I think that's a new uh, concept for people. You know, um, it, it's it's kind of overwhelming when it's like, OK, well, what's what's some baby steps towards a more fair, democratic uh, economic enterprise and like. Oh, let me tell you, co-ops, so those weird things where farmers buy their chicken feed at. And you might know, like, if I, I've, I've got a ready example regionally here because the party source, the largest liquor store in North America, just across the, the Ohio River in, in Covington, Kentucky, is a very large and successful co-op, worker-owned co-op. Um, so I have a nice regional example. Hey, do you like party source? Pretty, you know, uh, employees are all motivated, super helpful, seem like they're all chill and, and friendly and they're, they don't have the, the just like fucking hate you as a customer kind of attitude you see at a lot of places. What's well, a co-op? What is a co-op and how do we um, how do we get those ideas out? How do we encourage their formation in America? Because like the, the downside is if I'm an entrepreneur, uh, I'm taking a lot of risks to create a business and then I hire employees and then I guess I share everything equally with them. Like, well, they didn't share. How, how do you how, how do you overcome the objections to co-ops and, and, and then how do we encourage their formation and adopt? Of course. A worker co-op is any uh, private firm, which is owned, private being sort of a nebulous term here, uh, that is owned collectively by those who work there. They can still subcontract, of course, like say, for example, if they need a window repaired, they don't need to hire the window repair man and uh, make them a part of the company. But uh, the fundamental goal of a worker cooperative is for the workers by the workers. Um, a lot of people think the system fundamentally doesn't work because like, oh, everyone's managing everything. And 
rest assured, not everyone's a manager at a worker co-op. Everyone's an owner. You all get to democratically participate in the decision-making of this place. One of the biggest problems we have with privately owned firms, and I think anyone who's worked in an office environment for any length of time will know this, is that bureaucracy in the traditional firm environment is as inefficient as the old aristocracies of the feudal world. And the reason for that is because they're non-democratic. The people who are doing the work aren't putting in any of the, uh, 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 you know, decision-making when it comes to what they're doing with that work. So people who are quite skilled at what they do are being hamstrung by the relative ignorance of their managers who are only doing what they were told to by their managers and so on, so on, until you get all the way up to the top and nobody cares anymore. For a worker co-op, everyone gets a say. And that's almost mandated by the model there. Um, Additionally, everyone owns it collectively. We have something here in America, I think that... um, well, varies, but the right of first refusal is the idea that if a business goes under um, before it's sold off to the banks or what have you, um, the first people, the uh, defunct enterprise uh, is potentially um, sold off to is the people who worked there previously. Well, you spent 10 years here. Why don't you get a shot at running it? And if this is done collectively, what you recognize then is that the combined effects of democracy allowing everyone to participate and thus be invested in the work they do and people who actually are doing the work are in charge of how the work is being done you see a significantly more productive enterprise and the data supports this for the most part um i'd I'd like to see quite a bit more data i'd like to see more co-ops i'd like to see this country start incentivizing worker cooperatives um i would like to see uh, uh maybe scant tax breaks for companies that are willing to adopt greater degrees of workplace democracy i would like to see uh worker cooperatives being easier to start as a legal framework because right now they're quite difficult. I'd like to see banks perhaps give favorable loans to these enterprises. They're more efficient, they're more ethical, they work better, they stay around longer, and they are much more resistant to price shocks, which means that they aren't nearly susceptible to any of the fuckery we get with these once every decade recessions um, that seem to be sort of an inevitable product of the way our economy works today. Yeah, it's really because um, when we uh, contemplating adding employees over on the bald move side, that's one of the things uh, my partner and I were kind of excited to do. It's like, well, let's uh, let's reform this company not as a partnership, but as a co-op. And I tell you what, it's hard to find the lawyer that knows how to structure a company like that. Mm-hmm. And what you said mm-hmm. about getting bank loans, it's it's actually fairly hard for small enterprises to get bank loans, period. Uh, you end up having to take a lot of personal debt on and, you know. But like getting a bank to sign off on like a co-op type entity, um, it's often a non-starter. So I feel like there's quite a bit of like education. Um, but yeah, like any kind of policy, you mentioned tax breaks, the right of first refusal is interesting too. Like if a company's going over, going under, can can you know, instead of that just like, you know, getting thrown to the banks to carve up and the and the creditors. You know, I imagine a lot of cases when when companies are going under, it's just not possible to save it. But like if it is and the employees could, why couldn't they, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, You also mentioned entrepreneurship, by the way. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, There's one of the easiest solutions to this is that uh, entrepreneurs in uh, a society which is trying to promote worker co-ops maintain sole control of their company until they make back their investment or some percentage of it, you know, perhaps 150 percent, something to that effect. The idea being like, okay, if you want to preserve your risk, fine. Um, You maintain private control of this company until 
you're paid out in full for that risk. And after that, you uh, you and everyone else who works there um, become a part of the same democratic entity. Um, there's also the separate argument that uh, in a worker cooperative sort of oriented society, the risk would be shared amongst those who initially start up. I mean, if you're trying to make a worker co-op with five other people, there's no one person there who really is shouldering the risk singly. They're all sort of collectively working towards that goal. Um, the 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 risk argument it's it, what it what it comes down to to me and there is a legitimate element to it because mm-hmm. sometimes making a business is very very risky and I recognize that my Oftentimes, my father yeah. yeah my father has made a few businesses in his time I recognize how difficult and how stressful it can be um, but with um, with regards to entrepreneurship I feel like this country has instilled in entrepreneurs an almost deific uh, uh, reverence. We, we, th- the entrepreneur is a, uh, singly intelligent risk-taking, uh, daring go-getter, a modern pioneer, you know, crossing out, uh, uh, across the Mississippi to see what lies beyond. Um, when in reality, um, at least according to the data we have when it comes to starting up small businesses, um, very often the workers, who are hired, who are brought on in new businesses, work just about as hard as those entrepreneurs do. Anyone who's been a part of a small startup business knows for a fact that entrepreneurs having a lot of tough conversations with workers in the back saying, hey, listen, we're just starting up. I know this really sucks, but I'm going to need you to work overtime on regular hours or with no hours. Uh, you know, this is really, really tough. I'm really sorry. I hate to do this to you. And very often it becomes a cooperative risk, a cooperative sacrifice, even if only one person actually owns the enterprise. It doesn't happen every time, but it's not at all uncommon. Um, I just think sometimes people go overboard with emphasizing the influence entrepreneurs have over the workers beneath them. What other, because you mentioned also market socialism, um, what does that mean to you? Because I've heard some people describe as you know, like implementing a universal basic income as a form of market socialism. Like uh, what, what is market socialism? Uh, what, yeah, what, what does it mean to you? Um, and how do we implement more of that in this country? Socialism uh, requires two fundamental things, proper socialism, you know, in the in the in the old sense, in the Marxian sense, it requires um, the abolition of the commodity form. That is to say, no longer are goods produced for the sake of them being sold. The market is gone. And secondly, the worker sees the means of production. That is to say, the economic faculties of this nation are now in the hands of those who who work them, who benefit from them. Market socialism fulfills one of those two um, requirements. It fulfills the second one, where the workers control the means of production. But you maintain the commodity elements. You maintain the markets. Um, And there are problems with markets. There are a lot of problems with markets uh, uh, right now. I think we've for seen example, a few in the last ten years or so. Yeah, some some problems with markets. Yeah. We've seen here on the West Coast quite a few over the past two days. Where do you live? Uh, I live in Cincinnati, right in the heart, right in the heartland. Gotcha. Well, uh, over here on the West Coast, Oregon is red. Northern California is orange. I've seen and- the photos. It's terrifying. It is legitimately terrifying. It's like end, a doom end, level. End of days is is the aesthetic you guys are rocking out there. And this was done so a couple hundred people could be wealthier. And that's mm-hmm. legitimately it. That's that's it. If they really wanted to, 
all of the coal and oil and what have you barons uh, could have in the 1970s, back when the data was conclusive, looked at it and said, okay, we're destroying the planet. All right. Um, I don't want to stop being wealthy. I don't want to stop being powerful. We will gradually transition our overwhelming wealth into investing in alternative energy sources. We could have kickstarted a green revolution uh, 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 back during the uh, Reagan presidency, you know, if he'd had it. And uh, we could have we could have been done with it. But it was far more profitable for them to continue driving it into the ground. Now we're trying fracking. Joe Biden's unwilling to condemn fracking, and he's supposed to be the the progressive wing of this electoral sham sure. uh, we're, we're, we're you know, running through right now. Um, and what this is, what all of this is, is an externality, which is an economic term which refers to a byproduct of a market transaction which is not felt in the transaction itself. It can't right. be monetized, at least not without additional legislation. And that is a market issue right there. I don't think markets on their own are singly uh, capable of addressing the economic needs of human beings. I think that there are some very severe problems with them sometimes, the hospitals, uh, transportation, education, and maybe even further. Um, but I think we can't even begin to address those problems until the workers, the people, the voters of this country are in charge of its economic facilities. We can't even have that conversation because right now we're just playing tug of war with billionaires who clearly don't give a fuck what they do to this planet or to the people who live on it. And as long as we're playing that game of tug of war, we're going to keep losing. They're quite a bit stronger than us. Um, we need to win that game. We need to abolish the bourgeoisie. We need to implement market socialism. And after that, when the right people are in charge, the people people are in charge. I think then we can have some tough conversations about, you know, market commodification and what that what that's doing to our world. What can we do to fix it? So we talk about the importance of co-ops and, and um, market socialism. And you mentioned, if, you know, um, I get the opinion <laughs> that you are skeptical that, that Joseph Biden uh, is going <laughs> to be the savior that is going to single handedly turn around the, uh, the American enterprise as well as the world to uh, solve all of our problems. Um, so I imagine the solution is just to like not vote, right? You don't want to, you know, if you, if you got if you got evil and more evil, the only ethical choice is to to, to abstain from the system, right? Like, is is that is that good? Is is that good? Uh, what do they call it? Praxis on on this side of the aisle. Nice bait. Uh, <laughs> voting is uh, voting is like everything else, um, a, a meager way by which you can uh, guide the course of the world towards a slightly less shitty direction. If you're on a minecart track uh, rapidly heading towards a boiling flame pit and you can reach out to pull a lever that'll put dump you into a spider pit that gives you a slightly higher chance of survival, then you do that and you always do that. I'm excited uh, by a Joe Biden victory, not because I think he'll fix anything, but because I think he won't. Uh, what I think will happen, what I'm hoping will happen, is um, to some people a spider pit might be quite a bit worse than a fire pit. I was just saying, that's, it's, that's right, one of them yeah. subjective opinions we talked about. <laughs> Fine, a, a, a light spiky pit, like the spikes are only an inch sharp, so you can, uh, see. So, so it doesn't kill you, it just hurts. Okay, but anyway, yeah. um, what I hope will happen is the same thing that happened during the Biden, uh, not the Biden, the Obama presidency, where a bunch of well-meaning liberals who are tired of Bush slash Trump will all come up behind this new Democrat, you know, leader and they'll quite quickly and quite sharply be disappointed by their ineffectuousness, by their dishonesty, by their 
unwillingness to really challenge the people who are responsible for the problems with this country and they get disillusioned and they move further left. That's what happened during Obama's presidency. We got eight years of Obama, the big progressive Obama hope change. What did he do? Well, really, really not much like at all, not with his time, not with the power that he had. Um, you know, we got a heritage plan, healthcare. Uh, we got a heritage plan, or a Heritage Foundation healthcare plan. Um, we got a pretty good Iran deal. Credit where yeah. credit's due. Sure. Uh, yeah, I was a big fan of that one. Uh, it, we got some drone strikes. That was cool. You know, a lot of deportations. That was also cool. Um, a lot of people were disappointed. And then 2016 rolls around and Bernie Sanders nearly takes it from Hillary Clinton. Yeah, and not only that, but move moves the conversation from like, well, healthcare is just unpractical. There's just no way we're going to get it done to like everyone running on some version of universal healthcare platform in 2020. So like out, out of nowhere, he was nothing. He was nobody before that. He was, a, he was an independent senator from Vermont. Yeah. And, and he showed up and he nearly took it from Hillary Clinton, the redheaded stepchild of the Democratic establishment out of nowhere. And you know what happens in 2020? You know what happens this election season? Because everyone's so terrified of Trump, Bernie does worse. The country's as a whole has been pushed farther left. But Bernie does worse because liberals aren't willing to gamble another Trump presidency on a high risk candidate like Bernie Sanders. They go for something safer. Fifty eight percent of people who voted for Joe Biden did so on electability. So clearly the presence of Trump as a threat is preventing people from moving further left. You give him a Joe Biden, you give him some more disappointment, you give him another four years to stew in frustration as he does nothing. I think that in 2024, we have a shot at a really strong left-leaning contender. And it's not just the president. It's, you know, uh, that's why I, on, on three right turns, I try to emphasize the local and state because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, one of the reasons you could say that Obama was ineffectual is because there's only so much a president can do. You know, he's got executive. He's got the bully pulpit. He's got executive orders. Um, but, it, you know, uh, if you don't have a, a Senate behind you, if you if you got a divided house, then it's it's hard to make progress. So that's true. Um, but but I, I think that that's. When I you hear know what people he did saying, that pissed me off the most all the th of all the things Obama did. What's that? It was the judicial appointment near the end of his last term. Oh, when right. the Republican Senate refused to confirm because they said he was a lame duck president, even though he had like eleven months left. Right. He should have. He should have. He should have just appointed them and said that they were um, engaging in dereliction of duty. This is mm -hmm. something the Republicans are going to keep doing. By the way, they're going to do it with Biden too. Um, is is the, just a flat objective obstruction of governance um that high road shit doesn't work with them uh, no i, I think I, it's got a very bad standard too yeah i mean i'm a i'm a lot more radical in what i would like our politicians to do legally like you know like uh if, if we're concerned that we've lost a judiciary pack the courts you know um well what if the republicans do it well the they did. They did. Yeah, Mitch they McConnell were, sat yeah, on a whole bunch of open vacancies, including the Supreme Court, and they stacked it in a legal way that they could do. And no one gave a shit about. It. So, like, why don't we try it? And then, you know, if, if there's a, a bunch of outroar or uproar and outrage, then we can have those intellectual discussions amongst ourselves. And these, but like the idea that we're not going to do it because if we do, the Republicans might do it worse, like. I, that's that seems like someone that slept uh, slept through the first few parts of class. The Republicans will do trying to anything. join the discussion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely anything. We get it's 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 like being in a fight with somebody and they draw a knife and you have a knife and you're like, 
well, if I draw my knife, they might use their knife on me as they're stabbing you to death. You know, right, they, were probably, right. they, they don't care. Um, one of the most important um, characteristics of a functioning democracy is forbearance. The idea that a party will not use their power should they win to influence the next set of elections, right. to influence the respective odds. The Republican Party doesn't practice forbearance. So if we practice forbearance, what we're essentially doing is handicapping ourselves. There's no reason why we should do that. Uh, if democracy is broken, it's not our fault they started it we're only letting them win by refusing to participate in the broken system that they have created i also think i don't know if you agree with me this or not too that like i also think that broadly speaking some of these um ideas aren't as popular as they should be and like i feel like sometimes as leftists we assume that like uh you know everybody all liberals are for medicare for all when you go down into polling and it's like I think some of this is just like we have to do a better job advancing the arguments and, you know, winning over, uh, especially people like myself who live in these areas where I have family who's very conservative still, friends are conservatives, neighbors, you know, the, the place I live, the, the, to have those conversations, you know, uh, to not withdraw into our circles, but like, you know, go out there and evangelize, you know, Medicare yeah. for all. Go out there and evangelize the Green New Deal. You know, Nancy Pelosi, I, I shared this image on my Twitter feed about uh you know, she made some dis- dismissive thing about the green new vision or whatever, and it's juxtaposed against California on fire. Uh, th- these are like they're, they're ideas that are popular in the sense that like when people hear them and, and understand them, like defund the police is a term that's not st- extraordinarily popular. But the 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 actual policy behind it is very popular um, and we can go out there and uh, and have those conversations and make them more popular uh, do do our part because yeah, if, if, our ideas are good. They're good ideas. Yeah, they are. Yeah. That's why but, Republicans focus so much on this culture war nonsense. Right. You watch the whole RNC. All the fuck they're talking about is how Antifa radicals are going to burn down your house. First of all, as of today, um, gender reveal parties have objectively caused more property damage than Antifa <laughs> Hands down. could. We stretched Antifa out a hundred years into the future, and then not a even close years beyond that. Not even yeah, close. Not even. Gender reveal ultimate villains in America, twenty twenty. Yeah. Yeah. So we can. So and what's more, like people will fearmonger like, oh, Antifa. Did a half million uh, um, uh, dollars of damage in a U- New York protest last night. I'm actually asking you. Uh, I'm asking you to guess how much uh, did the New York City Police Department pay out in um, um, in settlements in 2018? I'm gonna pick a big number that's probably too big. Fifty million. Two hundred and eighty million dollars. Holy shit! I actually thought Over I might a quarter billion oh, wow. dollars. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's yeah. and also what's the economic cost of leaving entire communities behind economically, you know, like oh, I mean, uh, it's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, like you all can... these kids that are brilliant that flame out in elementary school and junior uh, high and high school because they're just they don't have good parents and they don't have good nutrition and they don't have good access to uh, health care. Um, Antifa could literally go full Tyler Durden and start blowing up skyscrapers with with vans full of nitroglycerin. And they they would still they would have to work overtime to come close to the not just the cost of the police, but the cost of police brutality that like we're like the, the New York City Police Department is a massive budget. We're just talking about the money that is spent to people who are brutalized and 
are awarded settlements. This is a yeah. fraction of the total money that the city spends on its police department. It's unbelievable. So that's what the Republicans focus on. It's all this culture war bullshit. You know, it's fear mongering. And, and the Democrats, somewhat to their credit, seem to be a little bit more issues focused, you know, as much as I disagree with um, almost everything they are and do. Um, and then you have people like Bernie Sanders, who is exclusively issues focused. Bernie Sanders never engaged in any of this horse shit. Every speech he did sounded exactly the same. It's like, he's like desperately pleading like, holy shit, do you want health care? Do, do you want health care? Do you want sure. your children to be able to swim in the ocean without their skin peeling off? Do you like <laughs> it? It's very simple and they're good arguments. And I um, and I'm convinced by them. I um, and I think that's 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 really our ticket to victory, too. So many Republicans aren't even willing to hear Democrat progressive arguments um, so many Republicans aren't willing to hear these arguments because uh, they know the Democrats are insincere. But a new wave of progressive Democrats is coming where they are very obviously sincere with what they believe. People like AOC, Bernie, Ilhan. And that's why the Republicans spend so much media time calling them terrorists, children, bartenders, stupid, idiot, dumb, sluts, whatever. Because they know if you get a hold of people who have got good ideas and are sincere in pushing them, the Republican Party has no fucking chance in the world. Not a fucking chance in the world. So it's it's culture war. It's going to be culture war from now until the Republican Party explodes or they put us in camps. There's a lot of like um, resistance when I talk to conservative folks and even, you know, centrists, um, moderate Democrats uh, about, you know, socialism's ties to authoritarianism, because, you know, an objective, I think, reasonable look at history shows that there is a lot of failed experiments that kind of went down the authoritarian bend. Um, but yet we, we spend a lot of time, you know, with capitalism. It's, it's something I'm always interested in. It's like we do capitalism, right? Until we have a massive market failure and then we break out emergency socialism, right? You know, a hurricane hit. So like, oh, what was flood the let's flood the communities of money, get them back on their feet, blah, blah, blah. Then go back uh, or uh, stock market goes up in flames. You know, we got bailouts. We, we break out emergency socialism. Um, I, I'm wondering if there's a, a future where you essentially try socialism and you and, and when you have bad economic times, you break out emergency capitalism or something like, you know, maybe we get a little bit more concerned about the bottom line and markets or uh, I, I, because the other thing I guess I'm getting at here is I don't feel like I hear a lot of leftists talk about how we can implement socialism and fireproof it against authoritarianism. And mm -hmm. because, you know, that's the, we don't have a lot of limits on people's economic freedoms. And I think people are attracted to that because it feels like, you know, well, you can always vote with your wallet. Um, and, you know, it's almost like the same way that there's a vestigial sense that if, the 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 kingdom of england is under threat that the queen can rise from her throne and mount up her uh, on her corgis and defend them against tyranny and whatnot like there's this, this last bastion kind of thing uh mm -hmm. that like the capitalist class is that for america that like there's just uh you know fascism is bad for business and uh they just they just won't have it at the end my but main how concern can, is that fascism is actually very no, good no, no. for business. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but how do yeah. we if if we want to take these concerns seriously? Because I do. Like I would hate to mm -hmm. live in authoritarian socialist regime. It seems like a uh, a real real miserable time. 
how can we fireproof our movement to reject authoritarianism? You know, like what are the safeguards we can build into socialism to where we don't have strong men, we don't have cults of personality, we don't have the shit that we see with Trump only left, you know? Uh is that a is that a real concern? If so, how do we address it? Yeah, of course it is. Every I mean, every not every most of the major socialist experiments that people point to all around the world, um, as failures are examples of poorly implemented socialism. And I recognize this is a no true Scotsman. So I'd like to qualify my statement here um, by uh, <clears throat> reciting some Marx. Uh, Marx believed two things very fundamentally. One, that the transition to socialism, which was one which should be predicated upon a very particular set of material conditions. That is to say, the correct set of economic, social, cultural uh, uh, relationships, you know, um, that is to say, you shouldn't just jump from feudalism to socialism, which is of course what Lenin attempted to do. Uh, and he also believed that socialism was good because people should be free. Uh, he didn't care about equality. Uh, he didn't care about the idea that everyone should end up in the same position in life or everyone should have the same house or whatever. He didn't give a fuck about any of that. He cared about freedom, that people should genuinely be able to walk the rounds of the earth uh, knowing that it is their oyster and that uh, short of harming other people, they are free to do as they will and what they like, um, you know, barring obvious subsistence needs, they'll probably still need their, their Wheaties in the morning. And I think a lot of socialist experiments that we've seen fail have been products of um, an unwillingness to adhere to these two fundamental beliefs. Uh, that is to say, they were not the product of democracy. So many of these socialist countries didn't emerge because the working class rose up, recognized their collective struggle and seized the state apparatus as their own. Uh, many of them uh, were a product of being a little uncharitable here, but warlords and politicians uh, who were able to secure uh, support either from the middle or from the working class or from the peasantry um, and uh, fought wars within their own countries to secure the means of production themselves. And while it's a phenomenal way of winning a war, you know, turning the peasantry and the working class to your side, the issue with that is, well, now the founding example of a society that is meant to be built upon freedom and democracy is one in which a autocrat with a cult of personality has led a militia to overthrow the previous aristocracy. And this isn't a very good starting place, in my humble opinion. Um, what what socialism should be built from is something called dual power, uh, essentially power within and without government. Usually this takes the place of a political party and of unions. Unions are very important. They represent the interests of the working constituency and they allow for the opportunity of a general strike, which is the most powerful tool the working class will ever have. And the party within government is necessary because they can carve out legal um, and um, legal and bureaucratic exemptions to further the power of the union groups. They work together. And when the people eventually rise up, uh, the idea is that the working class and the politicians shake hands, they've done it together, and collectively, with a system that is in both of their interests, they rule. They then implement a democracy. This is very, very hard to do. And the fact that it is hard to do is the reason why I think we see so many um, bad examples. And it's why I don't advocate for a revolution in this country. Um, 
at all. Yeah, to me, it seems like socialism is like, you know, um, can humanity fly? Uh, until the Wright brothers, the answer was no, you couldn't. And there's the, uh, the history is littered with people that tried and failed and splattered alongside cliffs. Um, you know, the Wright brothers had some like small incremental steps. You know, their first flight wasn't even flight. Did they even get out of the ground effect? I don't know, but they're credited with the, pe- the, the first people to fly. I, I feel like a lot of times like the revolutionary side of socialism is essentially taking your rickety ass biplane up a mile high cliff and jumping. You know, whereas I feel like what you're advocating for with like market socialism and co-ops is like Wright Brothers. Can we can we can we can we get at a fast run and see if we can float for 100 yards? Great. Let's try to do 150 next time, too. And then who knows? Like we might be uh, in, in, in supersonic flight 67 years and later. Event- we'll be on the moon. Eventually, you don't touch the ground anymore. Now. You're exactly. quite good with analogies. Well, thank you. It's one of the it's one of the things I, I'm I'm always workshopping. You know, like what are I got I got a really good one about billionaires and Rick Grimes and Walking Dead and zombies and <laughs> billion cans of beans I can try out sometime. But I, I I think that's the way to go because too often you know you could say the same thing about going from peasant class to democracy. Like how many times did the rabble rise against the overlords and they got put down and like well look you know. Doesn't. We got magic blood and you guys don't. We're always going to be better than you. We Many got of these the, revolts the, are lost to history, too. We don't even recognize yes. that. A lot, yes. of civi- a lot of civilian re- revol- uh, revolts sorry, um, were quite embarrassing to the aristocracy that controlled that area. Their, the village was burned. The people were slaughtered. Their heads put on pikes. And it wasn't entered into official records. Like The history is, if I may borrow a phrase, a history of class struggle. Um, and the history is littered with literally tens of thousands of attempts for the working class, for the common folk to secure peace and prosperity for themselves. It is, it is littered. It is, the, it, history is a, is a graveyard of attempts with a couple of shining successes. You know, you do yeah. occasionally have socialist leaders who do great good in their lifetimes. You know, um, Evo Morales, for example, of Bolivia, um, he has some faults, but if you look at what he did for the people of that country, the literacy rates, the, the I mean, fuck the everything, the everything he did really good, you know, Allende. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are arguments as well for, for, for Cuba relative to the position of that population prior. Um, even Vietnam has had some successes, though they are undeniably far more authoritarian than I personally am comfortable. Yeah. Lula. Of oh, course. Yeah. Uh, and what's what, what all of these leaders who I like the most recognized that they were more likely to improve the lives of the people around them by working within the system building a base of power until you no longer need to work within the system until people are strong enough collectively that it's not so much a revolution as it is an exchange of power whereas many of these bad examples again were prompted by military officials warlords and politicians and those with cults of personalities um it's it's messy business changing civilizations, but we can focus on the things that matter now. We don't have to get into scary territory. Let's work just, on worker cooperatives. Let's work on fighting float. fascism. Let's try yeah. to float. Let's try. Let's try to float. Let's, a try, let's to try to float. glide. Let's, let's work on building unions back up. Unions in this yes. country are 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 broken. They're they're un, they're unprecedentedly broken. Um, let's let's focus on these things. Let's focus on um. Let's focus on uh, 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 repairing some of the 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 fragmented pieces of our democracy that have laid broken since Nixon. Let's fix executive orders in this country. Mm-hmm. You know, there are so many things we can do that don't involve crazy ranked choice voting. Yes, like yeah, like yeah, creating choice voting. Third conducive parties. environments. 
Yeah. Run up to the to the White House with a banner on. Maybe one day we can. Um, uh-huh. But for now, I think we have easier and more necessary steps to take. I have always been of the opinion that if we were to have a revolution right now, fascism would win and I would be dead easily and probably you too for agreeing with me on some of the things that i say in this in this discussion. no i i i i've often said it's too late for me to to, to try to straddle the fence you know i signed up for, I'm, a, I'm a card-carrying democratic socialist of america member i got uh i'm subscribing to the damn magazines like i'm on a list and if it things broke bad fascist wise I'm, I'm i'm not probably the first one up against the wall but they'd get to me eventually sure yeah oh yeah oh yeah and uh and and that is i mean that is a real and frightening possibility people joke about that but i, I mean it, you can count on even more just the third, two hands the number yeah, even, of countries that have purged socialists from their population after a takeover and and even um, a third red scare would suck honestly like you know to have mm-hmm. to be hounded out of your job or your career or be disenfranchised or even jailed for your beliefs that that's something that's happened in, or in trying to make and uh, Antifa and possibly anyone who was previously associated with Antifa uh, or anyone uh, that uh, shows up in protest at the wrong time, a felon, and then you can't vote. Oh, boy. Um, mm-hmm. Hey, how are, mm-hmm. how are we doing on time? Because I have one other topic that I thought might be interesting. Um, that's that's not as big as like how we can do socialism. Um, yeah, we also... can. Yeah, we can handle one more topic for sure. OK. Um, one thing I think. One thing I see in the online left that I think is interesting, and I know it's it's a bugaboo that Destiny has too, um, is it seems like content creators they blow up and they have this deal where uh, you know they're leftists and they're all about seizing the means and fair and equitable division of things. Um, but it seems like a lot of them start to get really shy. You know, all the things you advocate. It's like, hey, if you got a, you know, you shouldn't keep your salaries and stuff secret. A lot of leftists um, do seem to be somewhat shy about the crazy amounts of money that they're making out of out of out of nowhere. And it's almost like this fear of like, well, gee whiz, if my audience finds out that I'm living more, I, I've got more than a subsidence level of existence that they'll no longer support me. Um, something that we've done a bald move since we started is like, we have annual, we call it, uh, empire business podcast where we go and like open up our finances and sh- talk with our fans about like, here's how much money we made and here's where it all went and, and spent. And like, here's our salaries and here's what we're investing in healthcare and et cetera, et cetera. I wish more leftists did that. Like in, instead of being afraid of the criticism, meet it head on. And like, you know, because I, I, I think that, that what I'm trying to get at is like we live in a system, right? We live in a society where uh, the amount of freedom that you have kind of comes down to your bottom line. And, you know, if I'm a leftist content creator that wants to have kids someday and I want them to have college, the best way to do that is amass a certain amount of personal wealth. Um, what, what do you think about that? Like, do you do, do, do you get what I'm saying? And like, do you have no, I know no, you're I, kind of I, on you're on the, the up and up like you, you haven't quite gotten into the uh, entrenched rich leftist uh, out of touch am, white college educated well off. I would be lying if I said otherwise. What do you have um, a plan for how to handle that criti- the criticism or, or like I, I've also thought of like, you know, for me, like what if how much money do I make personally? That's enough that I've got like my family taken care of my kid because I have a 13 year old going on 14 year old. Very bright. I want to make sure he can, you know, uh, whatever potential he's got, uh, he can he can maximize that to however he can. Uh, have you thought of like what's a figure to where like this is enough and and what am I going to do with excess? How can I plug that back into a political system? How can I plug that back into 
charity? Do you, do you have a plan for that? Or because I, I feel like that's one thing I think we should all do. We should all be thinking about that and and educating our audiences on how economics works and where money gets spent and. You know, um, so it shouldn't be something that we're ashamed of, like we're generating money. It's more of like, well, what are you doing it, doing with it? Are you just buying designer clothes and fancier cars or what, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is I don't think there's anything wrong or hypocritical with a leftist being wealthy or even um, uh, being a business owner or anything to that effect. Um, I think that uh, leftism is a is a moral principle and that the way things are distributed in this world, uh, we um, have to recognize that being in possession of wealth or being in possession of the means of production, if you're a business owner, um, gives you a relative position of prominence that you as a leftist uh, can use to better other people. Uh, Engels was, after all, Marx's a company, and Engels owned a factory. Um, and I can't tell you how much good would be done in this world if every city had a couple of prominent leftist millionaires who would be paying bails for protesters, who would sure. be providing medical care for people hurt, or pro- providing like uh, you know uh, uh, relief or shelter for homeless folk or any of that crap. And you can't do that if you're living as some ascetic monk. So I don't have a problem with lefties being wealthy. I'm wealthy. Um, what I hope to do with my excess money is eventually start a pack um uh, for one person to do that on their own um i would definitely need i i uh i i have some legal consult we're nowhere near that point yet i'm only about a year and a half into this but what i'd like to do is start a pack i've seen how much even a relatively small amount of money small from a business perspective like a half million can do to influence smaller elections and campaigns that's a lot of money that's a lot of money for a local state election that's a lot of money that's what i'd like to see because there are a lot of progressive dems who are starting to run in purple districts in the south uh Mm -hmm. that look like they would have really good campaigns if they um uh, if they had the money, they just don't have the money. Uh, and fundraising is fucking boring. So what if I just stream and I could eventually, I could put so much money into that pack. I wouldn't have to pay a diamond taxes. I'm sure I could find a way to make it work, but I'd, um, I, that's what I would like to do. Ideally. I do think lefties should be open about how much money they make. Um, Generally speaking, I can understand why they don't want to. You have somebody like, say, for example, ContraPoints. Mm-hmm. Uh, ContraPoints, a lot of money on on Twitter, or not Twitter, sorry, on on Patreon. Probably makes two hundred thousand a year plus ad revenue. If I had to shrug, take a guess at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pro- the probably, I'd guess, the reason why she doesn't have it listed publicly is because if. Um, if she did, there'd be a bunch of people going like, ah, I didn't know she was rich or something to that effect. And then you'd have to have that argument, you know, but like, um, yeah, shouldn't the, we just have that argument? Like, I feel like oh, that's, I, I agree, but other leftists don't like yeah. arguing with their audience. I especially love ones, arguing with my audience. Yeah. You know? Especially ones yeah. that like might be, you know, uh, in vulnerable populations. I get that. But like, you know, I see a lot of white college educated dude, streamers that are kind of showing that same reluctance i'm like man that's the that's where we should we should definitely lean into that and have that conversation and i also think it's a perfectly honest question of like well how much is enough you know how much is enough to secure your future and your family's future and then what are you going to do with the rest of it because it's uh, never going to be enough i'm going to take every fucking cent i can from my audience okay (laughs) it's all going to a good cause me yeah Uh, yeah yeah. 
I think I think thinking about when is it enough, I feel like it's it's a, a very self-destructive mindset to people who have certain tendencies. Some mm. people feel guilty about having money, which is stupid. Um, I think that like ultimately, if money is being provided freely to you, as it is here in the YouTube game, of course, like people yeah. don't people people donate to me for name colors on my site chat. Like, you sure, know, we're, I'm, crazy. Cl- I'm clearly not holding their fucking children over their head. Yeah. Um, and if they're willing to do that, I'll I will never feel bad about a cent that I make. Um, I'm honored to be the recipient of so much generosity. And uh, I, I hope to one day be in a position where I can start putting money together for that kind of thing. I'm hoping by the 2022 election, I'm going to be able to. That would be very nice. It's not going to be a half million or nothing, but it, it will hopefully Some, be enough. Yeah, to, a start. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a something start, that... Yeah. Is that something that's going to be an individual effort or is, is there going to be a, a pack that like uh, other leftist streamers could control? I guess. Yeah, I, I, that's super exciting because you're the first person to actually have asked that question and they have a, oh, yeah, actually, here's my plan. And it's really cool. So yeah. <laughs> have you well, talked I about this bought, on your stream? I just before, yesterday or? bought a home gym. So we, we've set back the the pack timer by just a little bit. But I <laughs> right. I would know if I could here, I'll try to get Hassan into it. That that Hassan is probably one of the only lefty people online who I know for a fact makes a lot more money than I do. Um, yeah. Streamers make significantly more. Plus, money he's got to have he's got to have the home gym taken care of. You know, he's got he's. Oh, he he's, fucking. Ha- oh, yeah. He already got the home gym. <laughs> I'm just catching up to him. Yeah. Uh, 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 with that one. Um. Anyway, yeah, yeah. Is he's, he's. Uh, yeah, because he's streamers make more money than YouTubers. Ad revenue on YouTube is shit these days. Oh um, yeah, it's everywhere. Like we're over on the bald move side because that's what kind of pays the bills. Swizzbold's more of a, a fledgling enterprise, but we're ninety percent supported by our direct support by our our fans because yeah, especially now like what what little the ads were doing like after COVID. Oh man, like it's it's really it's really a, a hit the market uh, for podcast ads and whatnot. So yeah, we we same deal. Like ninety percent of our operating uh, revenue comes right from people that like us enough to support what we're doing, you know? Yeah. Uh, so very cool. Well, I pre- uh, man, what, uh, huh? I'm sorry. I, I was about to say, like, I just really appreciate the, you know, I know that you're a super busy guy. Uh, Cause I have, Oh at no, times, no, no, no. Yeah. No, yeah. of course. No, it was actually a, like, a super good conversation. Um, should I, wait, should I should I disclose? I feel like it's weird for me to have that whole conversation and not say. I it's, chat's going to act like I'm betraying them, but I I answer this anytime I'm asked. It's probably going to make around a third of a million this year, maybe four hundred thousand, um, at most. Uh, not so bad. Hassan, yeah, Hassan. It's yeah, it's 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 pretty okay. Uh, so Hassan's still on top because um, I'm confident that motherfucker makes a seven figure income, just barely. I, I don't know. Like. I I don't know why. Like Hassan's kind of the guy I'm thinking of because you know it's it's an easy cheap shot, right? Like oh, you're preaching this, but you you know you're you're sitting there saying you should tell each other's your salaries and you shouldn't let the bosses have this information. But like oh, I don't like to talk about my personal finances because I, w- I will. It's, it's not this. a good look. It's not a good look and i think it's a missed educational opportunity i agree i will say this if you're making your money off donations i do think some people have said hassan does this i think hassan has maybe done it like once or twice i don't think that's a persistent habit on his part um but um i do think if you're making money off donations you should be upfront with your income and you should never mislead people about you needing that money when i first started streaming i would i would beg for those fucking donations i'd be like hey guys i really want to be able to eat something other than boiled potatoes this week please god and 
Sure, that's sincere. Now, uh, we, we must we must recognize, of course, that for me to do that, this would be wonderfully exploitative and not at all good. Um, so I think being open about your income, it's unfortunate because if you're open about it, people are less likely to donate. That's just a fact of the matter. If you want more money, the strategy to maximize income is to never talk about your income uh, and to uh, 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 facilitate a parasocial relationship to maximize the um uh, willfulness with which people will donate so they get to hear you say their name and so on. Um, I, I think that can be, get pretty unethical pretty quickly. Um, yeah. The, yeah. So I think I, I do agree. There's a better conversation to be had there, you know? Yeah. And I do feel like it's all one of those things where it's like, it gets worse over time. Like if you're it, it wins the, When's the time to kind of like come out with your finances and like start educating people about this? If you've been, it's, it's a lot harder. It's kind of like, I don't know, like a, a closeted situation, right? Like you've cultivated this thing. And, and also like, I, I, I feel like people can get weird about it. Like, you know, if you're, you're hiding it and it's something that like, if you're hiding something, it's something that you're some on some level shameful or fearful of. And mm-hmm. that can go bad places. Like, you know, that can lead to entitlement. It can lead to, you know, uh, being out of touch with other people's struggles because you start seeing, you know, because it's that's one thing I also talk about all the time is like this is a rigged system. It's just like, you know, um, if you've played what's that game? Cobalt Rocket, you know, like uh, your income is like a rocket ship and punching through that first 50 or 60 miles of atmosphere is where 90% of the fuel goes. Once you get space program. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. There you go. Once you, once you get out of the atmosphere, it gets this faster and faster. It's the same thing. Like uh, in personal economics, like when I talk to our accountant, it's like, uh, you know, once you have an income of like a hundred thousand ish dollars, depending on where you live, uh, you can essentially start paying yourself just straight out of dividends and 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 uh, realizing gains from your company, and those things are taxed at a way different rate, and it just starts accelerating. So it feels like we should have a system that's the opposite. It should be like uh, I, I I have this analogy like the warp curve, warp drive curve in Star Trek. Like the f- st- warp ten is the absolute fastest you can get. It's infinite speed, and every point nine point nine nine point nine nine is a is a geometric growth of energy that you have to expend to get that much faster and so like you know uh but but that's not the world we live in like it's so hard when you have no money and it gets easier and easier and easier as you get more and more money we used to have a very high uh uh, marginal tax rate and and we we don't and capital gains are taxed lower than traditional income so if you're making money off the stock market you get yeah 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 Yeah. my parents keep telling me to put money in the stock market it feels i don't think there's anything unethical about that no i mean it's 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 like it's it's like um if if you're playing (laughs) a game if you're playing the game like uh like uh, you can shoot three pointers outside the out of bounds all day and they're not going to count right like if you've got money uh you absolutely should because who knows what this stops tomorrow and uh do you want to be in a position of strength like yeah do you, that's that's what i'm saying do you want to be in a position of strength from within the system or a position of weakness and if you're in a position yeah. of strength and you can advocate and educate people and tell you this is like hey you should still support me not because i'm becoming an increasingly rich bastard but look at what i can do with this um look at how we can and all benefit also- don't you want to make me a rich bastard? I don't just want um, to make you. Yeah. <laughs> the the thing is, I mean, past the with, with with regards to how I live my life, once I was able to make because my income 
massively varies you know um a year ago today my income was like a tenth of what it is now so it's difficult for me to say like oh i make a hundred thousand a year right. i don't fucking sure. know what my income is going to be but um when when i was at the point where i felt like i was making about a hundred thousand a year like i felt like an equivalent degree of income my actual uh, uh living um convenience hasn't changed since then you know once i hit that point it's been pr all the rest of it's like uh in the pack fund you know what i mean or like uh or like yeah. um uh or i buy a home gym sometimes but for the most part things are pretty much the same and it is extraordinary how much being a little well off takes so much of a burden off your shoulders from being able to eat whatever you want to the grocery store. I used to only buy stuff that was on sale to getting a, getting a car problem and going like, Oh, well, this is annoying. I have to spend my Just day fix off fixing it. this rather yeah. than, Oh, this isn't a fucking life ruining disaster. This is my day off and three weeks of pay, you know, the, and I firmly believe and I, from everything that I've read, because this is, we're, now we're getting very much into the abstract, from everything that I have read, I think that lifestyle should be attainable to every single person in this country. I think that is 100% possible. With the wealth and the resources we have in this country, yeah. if we were to selectively decommodify certain price points, if we were to tax appropriately, that lifestyle where, I mean, if you want a new car, maybe you got to wait a bit, but living your life that is absolutely attainable to everybody here and eventually to everyone in the whole world without that's global the thing because like if you do the back of the envelope math and you, you divide the world's gdp oh, we're fucking them over wealth, so bad right now. Not, yeah, yeah but like it's like if we divided the pie evenly no one would be happy uh unfortunately so yeah. we do have to grow the pie which is why i don't think we're quite done with uh, uh all the all the markets yet because i do think that's a really good way to generate wealth and we need to generate a lot of wealth so that all the world can have like what you're essentially arguing for is a middle class lifestyle for the the world and man yeah and middle i get and, i get and, goosebumps and, when i think about a world where you you're you don't suspect your neighbor because you know everyone's kind of in the same boat and everyone's doing fine and everyone's able to maximize their own potential and you know, we can take care of crises as they come out in a reasoned way. Like it's, it, it does seem utopian and pie in the sky. And I don't think it's going to happen, you know, in the next 10, 20, I, I try to preach to my audience that this, it took us 30, 40 years to get into the pit that we're in right now. It's going to take 30, 40 years to rebuild the institutions, to get education levels back, to get people to where they're not in this, you know, oh my God, zero sum game. I got to get mine because, you know, other, uh, other, if I'm not, if I'm not hoarding it, someone else will. Right. Um, yeah. but we, I think we, I yeah. mean, we, we are exploding the pie right now. We, we can chart the relative level of worker efficiency in this country and in others. We right now, Africa is going through a boom. Southeast Asia Hell has yeah. been going through one. India is probably 20 years away from being roughly parallel to China in terms of development. And in 20 years, China is probably at least in most parts of it. Cause that's a big fucking country is, right. is, is going to be parallel to the, to the Western powers. And economically they're going to surpass us significantly. Um, the, yeah, what's uh, going on the, in Africa, especially the how they're, uh, you know, this pan-African government and economic coalition that's forming, you know, because uh, eventually if we, we get to Star Trek Utopia, we'll have like some form of war, one world governance government. Right. We, yeah. And, and we, these are well, steps towards it, you know. It's material conditions, you know, mm -hmm. again, if a if a country hasn't gone through capitalism yet, we can't expect them to just jump to where we are. They right. got to have their fun in the sun uh, with the with the, you know, with the unethical horde of wealth from capital owners. 
actually, um, this is a completely other subject, but it is important to talk about um, the carbon tax. Uh, so oh God, the world's yeah. dying right now. That's not right. good. And um, uh, we in the West are in a position where we can invest in alternative energy uh, in a way that makes our country wealthier because mm-hmm. we're established to that point. And uh, we may eventually transition to uh, complete dependence on green energy, which would be phenomenal, you know, or we go nuclear, whatever. But Mm -hmm. other countries can't do that. So what we probably absolutely definitely need to do is we need to be spending an exorbitant amount of money providing energy for these countries through green means. You know, you invest in their infrastructure. We got to be done with with coal and oil. We have to stop. Uh, So if that means us spending a couple trillion, us collectively, America, European Union, on uh, getting countries in Africa uh, or, or in Central America up to par, you know, that's I mean, we got there first. We got lucky, but we're essentially paying down our fucking of the planet, which is, I think, a pretty equitable trade in the long run. And it's moral. It's something. To, and I remember being yeah. I remember being a conservative, you know, 20 years ago uh, in my early 20s, because I'm pretty old, especially 20, uh, stand. 20 years ago. You weren't alive back then. Come on. <laughs> uh, but I remember being a conservative and arguing the positions for like, you know, cap and trade and carpet credits and stuff like those were right wing conservative economic solutions to the problem. And somehow they're they've got they've got transmogrified in the stupid machine to be far left crazy positions. Now it's it's uh, I don't know. It's it's like Obama tries to in, implement Mitt Romney's health care plan and he's a crazy socialist. It's, it's yeah. Or the it's, Heritage Foundation health care. Yeah, yeah. And then then yeah, it's there. It's, it's the been end of the a trip world. It's been a trick as I grew up, you know, idolizing like the heroes from Tom Clancy novels who were arch fucking Republicans of the day. And, the, you know, Jack Ryan uh, if, if if Barack Obama was white and Catholic, he'd be Jack Ryan, the hero of all those Tom Clancy far right novels. You know, like it is it is really breathtaking what's happened to conservatism Obama's a in the United shock, States, bro. Oh, Obama, like I can imagine, like I can imagine like Obama standing on top of like a, a Lebanese, you know, embassy watching a bunch of like terrorist family members getting gunned down while he puts on sunglasses. No, that that's- dude is incredible. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah, he'd have to be white and are, but like he is um, just very much like, and he's like the crazy far left socialist, you know? It's insane. Like I said, as someone of, um, yeah, and I don't, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm always trying to figure out because I feel like there's some secret here that, like, if I, you know, it's like uh, that movie They Live, like, if there's a glasses you can put on, and be like, hey, remember all the people we grew up and, uh, think about like I've been watching a lot of 80s action movies lately uh, like Total Recall Total Recall is a story of uh, Martians in, in, in impoverished Martians in a, in a dying world with no resources fighting against a corrupt police state blowing shit up fighting with police and they were unambiguously the good guys you know, like how did people, how did people my age, like Gen Xers, how did Gen Xers grow up on this content and completely forget the moral lessons? Like it, it's, I don't, no, people don't, people don't under follow anything uh, r- like right now. What we're, what we're dealing with is, is the fact that um, people have literally no media comprehension whatsoever. And, uh, 
everything like it's it's like fight club for example you know i feel like you could almost define a generation based on a bad interpretation of fight club where it's a movie explicitly criticizing um toxic masculinity and um and uh, groupthink uh, and then everyone ends up like you know watching it and thinking like oh my god dude holy shit tyler durden was based as hell um but you get that too. People watch They Live, and we're still in capitalism. So I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, I, I do it's think it's, good, it's something, and I don't like where it's headed. That like these liberal values don't touch the wallet. That's where there's a firewall between. Yeah, you can limit people's economic, political power, but economic, or you can limit their political and and their military power, but the political or the economic, that's just. You know, that's like one of those. Uh, it seems like it's uh, an, an, and that's I, I'm having a conversation this weekend with a conservative and I'm trying to argue, you know, against like private, not against private property, but trying to see if he can explain from first principles why the state of the world, how we carved it up in 2020 right now is is all good. Like because it, it's like, you know, the, the history of the world smash and grab, right? Like whatever you can take up until the last century or so. And then it's like, Oh, you know, we've got places like the UN and we've got democracy and everything's been kind of like, fair. but it's like so few people participated in that process. Everyone else got, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's this game of um, grand theft auto where you just pause and like, whoever's got the biggest pile of cash. Well, that's it. Well, we, we owned it. We own this land. We own this pro. We, we have the, you know, we have the, the God given impetus to exploit it. It's, it's so weird that like, there's an image, there's an image that reminds me of, which I'm quite fond of. Um, and it's uh, um, a wealthy man coming home to his manor, finding a bunch of poor folks standing outside the gate. Um, and uh, uh, the wealthy man says, what the fuck are you doing? Get off my property. And the poor men say, where did you get this property from? Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, from my father. Where did, you get, where did he get his property from? Well, from his father. And where did he get that property from? Well, he fought for it. Well, okay. We'll fight you for it. Um, yeah, they, you know, it's they, they, they got what they needed and they changed the rules up so you couldn't fight them back. Yeah, that's like it's like you, you what you mentioned like with the carbon credits and and spending the money to kind of clean up our messes. It just feels like that makes sense. Like uh, we we gotta you gotta be fair and equitable with people, or you're going to just you know like what is the rest of the you know is, is the rest of the six billion people on the planet just going to sit back and be like, well, you know, they got there first. And they made a lot of money. Well, I mean, unfortunately, right now, that is the only thing they really can do. <laughs> right. Uh, which is, uh, which is uh, you know, it sucks to be them, I guess. I'm glad I live here so I can feel bad uh, about the uh, hollow shell of a nation that I was born within rather than feel terrible looking at it from outside. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, man, I, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I, I like... Uh, uh, yeah, I really appreciate the time and the follow through having this conversation. Uh, I think uh, my audience is really going to enjoy it. And uh, yeah, if you ever if you ever need a because I, I feel like a lot of times when you have arguments of destiny, I'm a pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I do some of these debate reviews where it's like like that last thing with the Kenosha. Like, I think that really came down to like your experiences where you grew up and your background versus his. And like the things you were saying were just literally, you know, I and mean, he was also saying it in the max asshole way possible. But like, uh, I think the main the main issue with that debate is, and this is my fault. Um, I don't know if this is something he does deliberately or if it's just a byproduct of how he is. But the main problem with that debate is that I was debating the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, I'm generally pretty permissive when it comes to uh, self defense laws mm-hmm. and when it comes to self defense as a concept. I wasn't yeah. there to debate 
the the Kenosha shooter. I was there to debate his comments on it. The yeah. people who died deserve to die. That they were stupid and fuck them and fuck everyone else. And that the far right militias should shoot these people for burning down. Whatever. Right. That's what right, I mainly right, right, took right. issue with. But so right. it was my fault for letting myself get sucked into that. I still think there's a lot of nuance to the uh, legitimacy of a self defense claim. But I suppose we'll see. Yeah, there is because like I man, I don't know. I don't like I I hate. I hate talking too much about that stuff because as I, I think I've heard you say it gets real LARPy real fast, but like, you know, I'm always trying to take intellectual positions that I won't look like an asshole for taking six months from now. Uh, <laughs> no, if but, I, if uh, I was in a active shooter situation, I would simply uh, backflip and uh, uh, fire down in an arc with my, with my, you know, akimbo. Uh, sure. Um, Your gun. Yeah, Uzis, right. Yeah. To, <laughs> to neutralize the threat. Of course. Of course. Of course. We all know yeah. this. Attack pattern of Vosh Beta One. So uh, <laughs> the home gym is for to keep the the keep the backflip strong. Yeah. Thanks once again to Vosh. I know he's crazy busy, and I really appreciate him carving out some of his time to talk with me. But I think it's a really fantastic introduction to the topic of modern socialism, and it's probably a different perspective than you've heard the subject talked about uh, just about anywhere, really. Again, you can check out him at Vosh.gg or at YouTube.com slash Vosh if you want to see or hear more of his content. And I'm sure a lot of you will have follow-up questions or things you want to hear more of or maybe things you want to debate and tear apart. And I am here for that. Send that in to 3RT at SwizzBold.com. I'm hoping we can do a follow-up in the near future and I can pass those questions on to him. You can also discuss this podcast with our community on Reddit at r slash SwizzBold. If you learned something new today or you gained a perspective that you find valuable, please consider giving us your support at patreon.com slash swizzbold. Each month, we do a special subscriber-only live stream where Jim, Cecily, and myself unite to talk about politics and culture, hang out with chat, and consider topics suggested by our fabulous Patreon community. Our next live stream is just a few weeks away in early October. You can join us there live or get an archive of all of our previous streams by signing up now at patreon.com slash Each episode, we like to personally thank all of our Fred level patrons. So a heartfelt thank you goes out to Jordan Hoyt, Lisa Singleton, Jared Harrelman, Laura Luthi, Brandon DeVito, Greg Rasp, Brian Rasmussen, Kira Grusho, Angela Morano, Arvin Rao, Jenny, James Taylor, Marcon, George P. Purdell. Thanks to you all. We couldn't do it without you. Next week, I'll be back with Cecily to consider at least one weird trick on how you can better work, live, and find love on our other bi-weekly podcast, One Weird Trick, which you can find at swizzbold.com or on your favorite podcast app. And of course, the following week, I'll be back with another Three Right Turns. Can't wait to see you then. Have a great rest of your week. 